not working. Hey, there it's working. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. This is Just Human number 210, and we're going to be going over the Durham report. We're picking up on page 183. That's where we left off last time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we're going to talk about Fusion GPS and uh, Million and Alpha Bank is that that what's get the subject matter that we're getting into. Um, thank you for everyone for being here and uh, going through this Durham report with me. I really appreciate it. I'm enjoying it. I'm getting a lot out of it. And I'm thankful that there's so many people interested in listening to me go over this that, um, you know, it's making sense for me to continue doing it with the show. So thanks. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, hope y'all are enjoying your Memorial Day weekend. It's kind of weird. This It's always felt weird to me to say happy Memorial Day weekend. Um, because like I said last night on Defected, we had a four-hour episode last night. It was completely silly. Nobody should watch it. It was just silly. Um, I said last night that, you know, Memorial Day is this weird weekend where you have a, you have a dichotomy where you're like, you're thankful and you're reflective on the uh, the sacrifices that have been made by some of the greatest Americans who ever lived. And so you need to be somber and respectful of that and cognizant of it. But at the same time, those same people would encourage you to enjoy the freedom that they fought and died to preserve. And the freedom for you to enjoy your weekend and do whatever the heck you want with your time on Memorial Day weekend. It's your weekend. Um, and it's an interesting dichotomy that it puts you into where it truly is a happy Memorial Day weekend because we do have our, our liberty and our freedom because of those sacrifices um, and because of the work and efforts of those men and women. But at the same time, you want to be respectful of them and appreciative of them, right? It's this weird cycle you get into. And I was thinking last night after defected, and weird isn't the right word for it. It's a unique cycle. I don't mean to uh, um, narrow it down in a way, be reductive, but... I was thinking last night after the show, um, after Defected last night, that America has a lot of holidays that are centered around gratitude. And um, there's a really famous quote, and I want to make sure I get it exactly right. I know it by heart, but I've probably messed it up in my memory. Um I should have done this before the show started, but I just want to make sure I get the quote exactly right. Gratitude. Here we go. There we go. It's a. Uh, there you go. It's a quote by Cicero, who is a Stoic, who I very much love. Yeah, I had it remembered correctly. Okay. Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. And I was thinking last night about that quote and about how so many of America's holidays are based on gratitude, um, whether it's Veterans Day or Memorial Day or Thanksgiving. Um, there are several notable American, uniquely American holidays that are based upon gratitude. And gratitude is the greatest of virtues and the parent of all other. From a place of gratitude springs forth all other virtues. And I think it's something that we should be proud of as Americans that um, we've decided to incorporate gratitude into um, into Americana. Honestly, it's part of Americana to be to be um, to have to be thankful for the men and women who came before us and helped shape our nation, 
and preserve it. So, um, yeah. All right. Um, going through the Durham, Durham report today. God bless all of those who served and their families. Speaking of doing things that you really want to do on Memorial Day, because that it's your freedom to do it, I want to go through the Durham report with you this morning and drink coffee. Maybe mention a few asides here and there. All right, page 183. Fusion GPS attempts to tie Million to Alpha Bank. It's, inter it's interesting how they keep on trying to connect Million to Trump and other things when. Million and Trump don't have a relationship. Connecting these things to Million would not then connect them to Trump. Million's just a guy who had some minor real estate roles with Trump properties and got his picture taken with Trump at some point or something. Like he's not he's not some advisor or some key figure in the Trump campaign. Yet there's this effort to con connect him to the Trump campaign and it makes me sus of the people trying to connect him and of Million. Can't I can't help it. Anyway, as discussed in detail below, throughout the summer and fall of 2016, Fusion GPS was promoting to the media an allegation of secret computer server communications between the Trump campaign and Russian-based Alpha Bank in an attempt to tie Million to the Alpha Bank allegations. Fusion GPS sought the assistance of Perkins Coie attorney Michael Sussman. In turn, Sussman contacted technology executive Rodney Joffe to determine if Million had any ties to Alpha Bank. On August 20th, 2016, Joffe emailed a fellow technology executive, Tech Company 2, Executive 1, and two academic researchers, University 1 Researcher 1 and University 1 Researcher 2. These are Joffe and the Georgia Tech researchers, folks. A document titled Bird's Nest. One dot PDF that contained quote known associates of Trump included in the attached Bird's Nest One document was a description of Million along with one his past mailing addresses, two various email addresses, three websites, and four IP addresses that were associated with Million. Joffe described the document as quote the result of significant investigative effort of EORS professional team, and informed Tech Company 2 Executive 1, University 1, Researcher 1, and University 1, Researcher 2, that other than Paul Manafort, Million is, quote, seen as the most likely intermediary between Trump and Russia. Joffe also specifically called the group's attention to the RussianAmericanChamber.com website. On September 22, 2016, Sussman emailed Joffe and attached a document containing IP location information for Russian, RussianAmericanChamber.com. The body of the email was redacted by Perkins Coie based on privilege claims by the Clinton campaign. So we're getting into what Durham got out of the Sussman trial. Remember how important those emails were. Here we go. Email from Joffe right here. 
email from Sussman to Joffe, email from Joffe to Sussman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Fritch to Lichtblau. This is stuff that Johnson or that Durham got hold of thanks to the Sussman trial. His objective was not to convict Sussman. That would be a bonus. His objective was to get these emails and more, in my opinion. Sussman and Joffe exchanged additional emails withheld for privilege. Right there, he's he's letting you know there's some more emails, but I did I didn't get them. Later that night and into the early morning hours of September 27, 2016. Further, on September 27, 2016, Fritch and Simpson emailed Million's website, the Russian American Chamber of Commerce, IP lookup information to Eric Lichtblow at the New York Times. As discussed below, during the fall of 2016, Fusion GPS was pressuring Lichtblow to write a story about the Trump Alpha Bank allegations. In the email, Fritch pointed out that Alpha was the website service provider for Million's website. However, the special counsel's office determined that the relevant IP information does not indicate that Alpha Bank is the service provider, but rather Alpha Telecom, a Lebanese-based telecom company, which appears to have no affiliation with Alpha Bank whatsoever. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it makes you wonder, did they really confuse Alpha Telecom, a Lebanese-based telecom company with Alpha Bank, a Russian-based bank? Or did they just notice the convenience of Alpha in this name and Alpha in that name and were like, oh, jackpot, we can totally connect those things together and the American people will never look into it for themselves to figure out that they're not the same company. It's kind of, it's just, it's exactly like right now and for the past couple of years, it keeps going around that um, Dominion, People keep confusing Dominion Power, with, which is part, which has investment in it by BlackRock, and pe people keep on saying that Dominion Power, they're confusing it with Dominion voting machines or voting systems. I feel like every month or so, that clickbait goes around, and it's just the convenience of the name. All right, the FBI's conduct concerning Million. From September 2007 to March 2011, Sergey Million served as an FBI CHS, confidential human source. I'm sure y'all know that. During that time, Million reported on matters related to Belarus and Russia. Following, among other things, Danchenko's revelations concerning Million in August 2017, FBI agents attached to the Mueller special counsel team began investigating Million to determine what, if any, involvement Million had in relation to the Russian government's efforts to influence the 2016 presidential election. On January 17, 2019, the FBI closed its case on Million, noting that, quote, the investigation found no confirmation that Million was directed to engage in activities related to the Russian government's efforts to interfere with the 2016 election. So that's footnote 1135. And that is from special counsel's office, case closing electronic communication. Okay. In their interviews with the office, meaning the special counsel's office, both Otten and Helson expressed skepticism about Danchenko's allegation, alleged interaction with Million. It does not appear, however, that the Crossfire Hurricane investigators made any effort to corroborate Danchenko's version of events. For example, it does not appear that the FBI examined either Danchenko or Million's phone records. 
Nor does it appear that the FBI questioned Danchenko about the implausibility of the meeting he supposedly planned with Million in New York. Lastly, and perhaps most importantly, nobody from the FBI questioned Danchenko about the incongruity between Million's vocal support for Trump and his alleged statements to Danchenko. Again, in order to credit Danchenko's narrative, one would have to accept that Million called Danchenko, an individual he did not know, and provided him with damaging information on Trump during a 10 to 15 minute phone call. In some, the evidence obtained by the office simply does not support Danchenko's version of events. Nevertheless, despite the obvious infirmities in, Danch- infirmities in Danchenko's narrative, the information allegedly provided by Million remained in the page FISA applications through the final renewal in June 2017. The FBI's failure to disclose 2OI and include in the page FISA applications Page's role as a source for another government agency. Bone slop. Thank you for the rumble rant. Good morning to you. In addition to the inclusion of highly questionable information in the page FISA applications, the FBI also failed to include highly relevant information in those applications. As disclosed in the OIG review, one of the serious errors in the four-page FISA applications was the failure to report that page had been approved as a, quote, operational contact for at least one other government agency, OGA, during the period from 2008-2013. The record reflects that the Crossfire Hurricane investigators had been made aware of this relationship months prior to the submission of the initial page FISA application in October 2016. In the course of its investigation, the OIG also discovered evidence that, prior to the submission of the fourth and final page FISA application, the issue of Page's relationship with the OGA was raised by the FBI's Office of General Counsel by the FBI affiant on the application. In particular, the affiant, Supervisory Special Agent 1, sought clarification from Kevin Kleinsmith the OGC attorney who was working with the Crossfire Hurricane investigators on what, if any, relationship Page had with the OGA. Kleinsmith, one, inquired of the agency. Two, received a response stating that Page did in fact have a relationship with it during a relevant time period. Three, altered that response to reflect the opposite and sent the altered document to the affiant which the affiant then relied on in making representations to the FISC. After discovering this misconduct, OIG timely informed the Attorney General and the Director of the FBI of the matter pursuant to the Inspector General Act of 1978. Further information about Smith's activities is set forth below. So we're going to get into Smith, the guy that Durham um, got a guilty plea out of. FBI Attorney Kevin Kleinsmith. From July 2015 until September 2019, Kleinsmith was employed by the FBI's Office of General Counsel as an Assistant General Counsel in the National Security and Cyber Law Branch. Among other duties, Kleinsmith assisted FBI agents in preparing FISA applications and worked directly with attorneys in OI. Let's look at this footnote. It says United States versus Kleinsmith, so that's the case Durham brought against him. As part of his plea agreement, Kleinsmith agreed, quote, to be personally debriefed by the FBI regarding the FBI's review of FISA matters and, quote, any information he possesses 
that should be brought to our attention or to the attention of the FISA court. And so it's a letter from John Durham to attorney Justin Schur in the matter of United States versus Kevin Kleinsmith. Kleinsmith otherwise declined to be interviewed by the office or cooperate with our investigation. So Durham's letting you know that he had a plea agreement. As part of it, he had to do these things related to the FISA matter. But beyond that, he refused to work with Durham. In the late summer and fall of 2016, Kleinsmith was assigned to provide legal support to FBI personnel working on the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. In, his, in this role, Kleinsmith interacted with an OGA on issues of importance to the Crossfire Hurricane effort. In addition, Kleinsmith provided support to the Crossfire Hurricane investigators who worked with OI to prepare the FISA application seeking authority to conduct surveillance of Page. On August 17, 2016, Months prior to the October 21st, 2016 approval of the initial FISA application targeting page, the OGA provided the Crossfire Hurricane investigators a memorandum known as the August 17th Memorandum, advising that Page had been approved as an operational contact for the OGA for the period of 2008 to 2013. The memorandum described the reporting Page had provided to the OGA including detailing his prior contacts with certain Russian intelligence officers. As discussed in greater detail below, Kleinsmith would later claim to the OIG that he did not recall reviewing the August 17th memorandum and that he did not have access to it in FBI OGC office space. Although technically true that the document was not located in OGC space, the document was located at FBI headquarters and available upon request to Crossfire Hurricane personnel, including Kleinsmith. The first three pages, no, excuse me, the first three page FISA applications made no reference to Page's prior relationship with the OGA. However, before the FBI submission of the final FISA application, Page himself publicly stated that he had assisted named government entities in the past. During the preparation of the final FISA application, the affiant on the proposed application, Supervisory Special Agent 2, asked Kleinsmith to ask whether Page had ever been a source for the OGA. On June 15, 2017, Kleinsmith sent an email to a liaison from the OGA, the OGA Liaison 1, stating, quote, We need some clarification on Page. There is an indication that he may be a digraph source. That's what it has right here. I don't know what digraph means, but that's what it says. Um, this is a fact we would need to disclose in our next FISA renewal. So to that end, can we get two items from you? One, source check, is Page a source in any capacity? Two, if he is, what is a digraph source or whatever type of source he is? OGA Liaison 1 responded by email that same day and provided Kleinsmith with a list but not copies of pertinent OGA documents. That list included a reference to the August 17th memorandum on the OGA had previously used, provided to the Crossfire Hurricane team. Had previously provided to the Crossfire Hurricane team. The liaison also wrote that the OGA uses, quote, the digraph to show that the encrypted individual is a U.S. person. We encrypt the U.S. person when they provide reporting to us. My recollection is that Page was or is digraph, but the documents will explain the details. 
If you need a formal definition for the FISA, please let me know and we'll work up some language and get it cleared for use. Kleinsmith responded that same day to OGA Liaison 1 stating, quote, Thanks so much for the information. We're digging into the documents now, but I think the definition of the digraph answers our questions. At the time of the exchange between Kleinsmith and OGA Liaison 1, Supervisory Special Agent 2 was on leave. So Kleinsmith forwarded the liaison's email to two other Crossfire Hurricane investigators, Special Agent 3 and Supervisory Special Agent 4. Notably, before forwarding the email, Kleinsmith removed his initial email to OGA Liaison 1 that inquired about Page's status as a source. That same day, Supervisory Special Agent 4 emailed Kleinsmith and OI Unit Chief 1 informing OI Unit Chief 1 that she, Supervisory Special Agent 4, would, quote, pull these documents for you tomorrow. In a subsequent reply to Kleinsmith, Supervisory Special Agent 4 suggested that OI Unit Chief 1 may have previously been aware of Page's relationship with the OGA. Later that evening, notwithstanding the information he received from OGA Liaison 1, Kleinsmith told FBI OGC Unit Chief 1 that Page was not a source but rather a, quote, U.S. subsource of a source. Kleinsmith also sent an email to OI Attorney 1, the OI attorney working on the page of FISA renewal, and requested a time to talk the following day. We've got more emails here. Okay. The next day, Kleinsmith and OI Attorney 1 spoke for approximately 30 minutes. Following the call, Kleinsmith forwarded to OI Attorney 1 the June 15, 2017 email from OGA Liaison 1. Once again, Kleinsmith omitted the initial email he sent to the liaison that inquired about Page's status as a source. When interviewed by the OG, OIG, OI Attorney 1 did not recall the substance of his telephone call with Kleinsmith. However, documents reviewed by the office reflect that OI Attorney 1 replied to Kleinsmith forward of OGA Liaison 1's email and stated, quote, Thanks, I think we are good and no need to carry it any further. Copying Case Agent 1, Kleinsmith replied, quote, music to my ears. The office has found no evidence to indicate that Case Agent 1 went back to look at the OGA documents after he received OI Attorney 1's guidance on the issue from Kleinsmith. On June 19, 2017, Supervisory Special Agent 2, who had returned from leave, exchanged a series of link messages. Link is the internal F FBI text messaging system received a series of link messages from Kleinsmith regarding Page. So, SSA2, Supervisory Special Agent 2. SSA2, do we have any update on the OGA CHS, that is Page, request? Also, Case Agent 1 said OI Attorney 1 is not so optimistic. Kleinsmith, OGA CHS, you are referring to Page? SSA2, yes. Kleinsmith, he is cleared. SSA2, cleared to fly? Kleinsmith, digraph equals masked USPER. SSA2, so he was, and the relationship officially ended? Kleinsmith, so essentially the real source was using Page as a steel-like subsource. Kleinsmith, Carter Page was never a source. SSA2, you mean the OGA officer, Kleinsmith, right, whomever generated the reporting from the documents. 
It was just liaison with Page, which resulted in reporting. Eventually, they closed it out as unhelpful. So in discussing with OI Attorney One, he agreed, we do not need to address it in the FISA. OI Attorney One is always Eeyore in drafting these special FISA applications. SSA2. So Page was a digraph, or Page was a subsource of the digraph. USPER is short for US person, by the way. This right here. I didn't know that. I've never seen it as that. So this is U.S. person, a masked U.S. person. 1164, he referenced Steele right there. We understand that reference. Client Smith, it sounds like a subsource of the digraph. Client Smith, and yes, the OGA confirmed explicitly he was never a source. SSA2, interesting. Client Smith, but like interesting, good, right? Client Smith, I mean, at least we don't, have to have a terrible footnote. SSA2, sure, just interesting they say not a source. We thought otherwise based on the writing. I will reread. Kleinsmith, at most it's another person being the CHS and you talking to the other person. SSA2, got it, thank you. Do we have that in writing? Kleinsmith, on TS, I'll forward. So as you can see, this agent had concerns here and had actually been convinced the other way or was going the other way with it. And like, yeah, this guy's a source based on the writing here and we're not going to be able to use this or we're going to have to disclose that he's a U.S. person to the FISA court. And Kleinsmith is leading him away from that. And no, 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 he got that interpreted wrong. He's actually not a source. As reflected above, Kleinsmith told SSA2 that Page, quote, was never a source. And that, quote, the OGA confirmed explicitly he was never a source. When SSA2 asked if Kleinsmith had that in writing, Kleinsmith responded he did and that he would forward the email that the OGA had provided. Immediately after the link messages between Kleinsmith and Supervisory Special Agent 2, Kleinsmith forwarded to Supervisory Special Agent 2 a version of OGA Liaison 1's June 15, 2017 email containing alterations that Kleinsmith had made. The altered email from the liaison read as follows. My recollection is that Page was or is digraph and not a source, but the documents will explain the details. If you need a formal definition for the FISA, please let me know and we'll work up some language and let it be cleared for use. And get it cleared for use. Kleinsmith had altered the original June 15, 2017 email from the liaison by adding the words and not a source, quote unquote, to the email, thus making it appear that OGA Liaison 1 had written in the, the email that Page was, quote, not a source for the OGA. Relying on the altered email, Supervisory Special Agent 2 signed the application that was submitted to the FISC on June 29, 2017. This final FISA application did not include Page's history or status with the OGA. The office's investigators, like the OIG investigators, confirmed with OGA Liaison 1 that she had no recollection of ever having told Kleinsmith that Page was not a source for the OGA. He was not a source for the OGA. Bone Slop says the definition of diagraph is an instrument by which persons without knowledge or drawing or perspective can reproduce the figures of objects before their eyes, a combined protractor and tractor and scale used in plotting. 
Okay, so that can make sense in this context that um the uh he's a, they're calling him a digraph because he's an instrument for gathering information, right? So he it was a, he was a CHS. Um, but that's the internal term they're using is he's masked as a U.S. person, and then he's providing um, he's an instrument that provides information to them. So that makes that makes sense. OK. CHS meeting with um, let's see, CHS meeting with Papadopoulos, Page and a third Trump campaign member. The Yahoo News article about Page and Page's offer to be interviewed. That's our next section. Phone slop. Well, you say they were wired tapping Trump. Trump is a source and an asset. So, I mean, he's already wearing a wire, just like Rudy is. So it's kind of it's always funny to me to think about that because this this uh this element is trying to spy on Trump, but they don't realize that he's already a source for the good guys within FBI and has been for decades. So he's already wiretapped. He's literally wearing a wire and gathering evidence on people. And so are other people in the Trump org and Trump org businesses have wires in them to record conversations between criminals. Um, so it's like that, that really, that's one of the things about Spygate that really flipped it for me. Is once you realize that Trump is an asset, then you see that the swamp actually went after Batman. And they didn't realize it was Batman. They went after a guy they thought was Bruce Wayne. But it's turned out they've gone after Batman. That really is what's going on. <laughs> that, that really is what's going on. Sammy the Squirrel, thank you for the link. I've opened it up another window and I'll take a look at it later. Um... Yeah, it changes everything. Once you realize that it completely, it, it's a horse of, this whole thing is a horse of a different color. Once you realize that and you start seeing how you start asking things like, are they leading them along in this? Is Trump leading them along is that's why I, that's another reason why I think some of the players in this are actually good guys, but they're portrayed as bad guys. Because they're actually they're letting they're letting the swamp make these mistakes and commit these crimes and they're catching them and they, as they do it. All right. In addition to opening Crossfire Hurricane, the FBI opened or had opened investigations of four individuals associated with the Trump campaign. FBI CHSs or undercover employees, UCEs, met with two of those individuals, Papadopoulos and Page as well as with a senior Trump campaign foreign policy official and recorded many of those meetings. Many of the omissions and much of the misleading information found in the page FISA applications described by the OIG deserve additional emphasis in this report based on the office's review of the transcripts and careful review of the actual recorded conversations themselves. Indeed, listening to the recordings and reviewing the transcripts was especially important when considered against the backdrop of an unauthorized disclosure made to Yahoo News about the federal investigation into Page and Page's subsequent offer to be interviewed by the FBI. All right, I'm we're on page 191. I'm not sure that we're going to go back and talk much about Klein Smith, but just in case we don't, I want to go ahead and say that one of the, I want to make a comment on Klein Smith. 
I've often said that um, according to his plea agreement, it read in his plea agreement, it sounds like Klein Smith sent an altered version and an unaltered version. And I've said that a number of times. Maybe I'm misremembering. Uh, but based on the reading I just got, that was the best overview of what bone of what um what page I'm looking at the chat and saying bone of what um Klein Smith did. That was like what we just read was the best, most concise explanation of exactly what Klein Smith Smith did that I've read. And it didn't portray that to me. So I may have misremembered, but I really thought that Klein Smith sent both an altered and an unaltered email to the case agent. Um, but maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe that's not what it was. Maybe he received an email and showed it to somebody else. or some, I remember him showing the unaltered email to somebody. Anyway, that was a really good explanation from uh, page 190 of this and thereabouts of what exactly Kleinsmith did. The FBI's engagement with CHS-1 and first consensual recording of Carter Page on August 20th, 2016. Approximately 10 days after the Crossfire Hurricane investigation was opened on Page, Case Agent 1 worked to arrange a meeting with CHS-1, a long-term counterintelligence source, source who the FBI had paid a substantial amount of money over the many years. WFO Washington Field Office closed CHS-1, for cause in January 2011 for, quote, displaying aggressiveness toward handling agents as a result of what he or she perceived as not enough compensation and for exhibiting questionable allegiance to the intelligence targets with which CHS-1 maintained contact. Let's check this footnote. This footnote says the AGG Domless consensual monitoring. It defines consensual monitoring. Okay. It's giving us a definition of consensual monitoring, which is what I would say Trump is under. Um, what was this footnote for? Is one seventy? Okay, let's 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 look at this again. Good morning, Mermaid Miss K. You may particularly find this this interesting. Uh, FBI CHSs are undercover employees, UCEs met with two of those individuals, Papadopoulos and Page, as well as with a senior Trump campaign foreign policy official, and recorded many of these meetings. Footnote 1170. The AGG DOM, which is a guidelines for FBI, lists consensual monitoring, consensual monitoring, as in we're going to, uh, I'm going to allow you to wiretap me as an authorized investigative method that requires legal review. It defines consensual monitoring as, quote, monitoring of communications for which a court order or warrant is not legally required because of the consent of a party to the communication. The party consenting to the monitoring may be an FBI, CHS, or UCE. Sounds like the kind of arrangement they have with Trump, who I was just talking about. All right, I took care of the troll. Nevertheless, Case Agent 1 reopened CHS-1 within two months of the CHS's closing and continued to serve as his-her handling agent through the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Case Agent 1 had served as CHS-1's handling agent for most of the five-year period before the opening of Crossfire Hurricane. 
When the FBI approached CHS-1 in August 2016 to determine whether he or she knew Papadopoulos, CHS-1 said that he or she was not familiar with Papadopoulos. However, CHS-1 asked Case Agent 1 and two other FBI employees who were present if the FBI had any interest in Carter Page, with whom CHS-1 had met a month earlier in July 2016. The FBI learned that Page had been invited to attend a July 2016 meeting focused on intelligence and global security affairs. Page's attendance at the overseas event occurred just days after his visit to Russia, where he had delivered a commencement address at the new economic school in Moscow. Given the circumstances and familiarity that CHS-1 had with Page from their recent meeting together at the overseas seminar, the FBI believed CHS-1 could initiate contact with Page without arousing suspicions. CHS-1 contacted Page at the behest of the FBI and a meeting was arranged for August 20th, 2016, which CHS-1 recorded. Let's check these footnotes. CHS-1 also maintained relationships with other government agencies and had likewise been paid for his or her services, so they were probably FBI and CIA um, CHS. One individual interviewed by the special counsel's office advised that CHS-1 was directly involved in deciding which individuals would be invited to that earlier meeting and had authorized an investigation being sent to Page. It does not appear that at that time, CHS-1 disclosed to the Crossfire Hurricane investigators that on May 3rd, 2016, CHS-1 sent an email to Trump Policy Director 1 that contained his or her resume, spoke of her or his prior political experience regarding foreign policy matters, offered to help Trump in the foreign policy area, and although stating that he or she was not seeking a position in the Trump administration, said he or she believed it was important to see Trump elected. When the office asked about the email, CHS-1 said that Page had asked him or her to send it. However, when reminded that he or she had not even met Page until nearly two months months later, CHS-1 said he or she probably sent it because he or she thought that they could be helpful to the campaign regarding a particular country which was not Russia. Well, we have kind of a mystery here, don't we? Who is this person? Relatedly, shortly after Trump's election in November 2016, CHS-1, while still an FBI CHS, sent a senior Trump transition team member an email offering his or her congratulations on Trump's victory and expressing an interest in assisting the new administration. We have no information to suggest that the FBI requested CHS-1 send the email. It was sent to Trump's senior foreign policy advisor, one. Huh. Yeah, UK Neil, good morning. Felix Sater was on my mind. Felix Sater was on my mind, and also Patrick Byrne was on my mind. I don't think it's burn, but I could definitely picture it being burn. Um, interesting. All right. Um, the primary purpose of the meeting and three additional consensually recorded meetings with Page made by CHS-1 
was to assist in determining whether Page had information relevant to the allegation that predicated the opening of Crossfire Hurricane investigation. I wonder if it's Michael Cohen. That would also be interesting. We know for we know for a fact that Michael Cohen and Felix Sater have served as CHSs. And near this time. Hmm. I wonder who it is. The first meeting between Page and CHS1 took place as scheduled on August 20th, 2016. Before the meeting, the FBI briefed CHS1 on the information received from Foreign Government 1 that predicated the opening of Crossfire Hurricane. Because Page and CHS1 were acquainted from the July meeting. They discussed a number of topics during the August 20th engagement. CHS1 said that he had once known Manafort, the Trump campaign manager who had resigned the previous day. Page told CHS1 that he, Page, had, quote, actually literally never met Manafort, never said one word to him, end quote. When Page added that he had sent Manafort a couple of emails, the CHS interrupted him and said, Quote, and he, Manafort, never responded, probably. Page then replied, never, never responded one word. Since that time, Page has repeatedly stated that, despite allegations to the contrary, he never met or corresponded with Manafort while they worked on the campaign. Later in the conversation, Page told CHS1 that, quote, I was never from the beginning a Manafort fan. Page also said, that he believed Manafort might be in some trouble. He was right. But he provided no further information regarding the source of the trouble. Page's statements about Manafort, especially about their having no relationship, seriously undercut the reports from the steel, from steel subsequently received by the Crossfire Hurricane investigators that alleged that Page was engaged in a conspiracy with Manafort, the Trump campaign, and the Russians. So keep in mind, this is a private conversation being recorded by CHS that's taking place in between when the FBI in New York got the Steele dossier reports and when the Crossfire Hurricane team got Steele dossier reports. So in between that time, this recorded conversation is taking place and Paige is like, I never talked to Manafort. He doesn't respond to my emails. He's got some troubles. I have no relationship with him. Importantly, the FBI records reflect that the Crossfire Hurricane investigators apparently failed to determine at that time whether Page's statements to CHS1 had a basis in fact. They probably heard what the they listened to it and because it didn't meet their ends, it didn't like further their goals, they were like oh, we're just going to ignore that. Had they done so, investigators would have found that Page had previously sent Manafort one direct email message and copied him on two other messages none of which Manafort appears to have answered. Footnote. As noted previously, the first steel reports arrived. Oh, he's making the report that I, the point I just made. FBI got steel reports at first, July 5th, 2016. Um, OIG interview of handling agent. For some still unexplained reason, however, members of the Crossfire Hurricane team working on drafting the page FISA did not receive the steel dossier reports until September 19th, 2016. This recording that we just learned about is taking place on August 20th, so a month before 
Email from Carter Page to Paul Manafort, Sam Clovis, J.D. Gordon, Page to Hicks and Manafort. Okay. Importantly, FBI records reflect that the Crossfire Hurricane investigators apparently failed to determine at that time whether Page's statements to CHS-1 had a basis in fact. Had they done so, investigators would have found that Page had previously sent Manafort one email. I already read that. Sorry. This documentary evidence provides significant corroboration of Page's statements about Manafort and should have raised, at the time when the FBI was assessing the Steele reporting, serious concerns about the reliability of an important piece of that reporting. In addition to discussing Manafort, Page, and CHS-1 also discussed three other topics. First, at several points in the conversation, Page was asked about a possible, quote, October surprise being planned by the Trump campaign. In one place, CHS-1 referenced an October surprise from an earlier presidential election, and Page responded that he wanted to know the definition of an October surprise, quote, because there's a different October surprise in a this year, but you know, although maybe some similarities. Toward the end of their meeting, Page was bluntly asked, what is the October surprise you are planning? The recording reflects that this was followed by some laughing, or someone laughing. Page responded, quote, well, I want to have the conspiracy theory out there that uh, Russia, the next email dump with these 33,000, you know, CHS one asked, well, the Russians have all that, don't they? Page stated, I don't, I don't know. Second, Page discussed with and confirmed for CHS one certain recent media reports regarding his, his pages, business relationships in Russia. Nevertheless, during this meeting and all other subsequent recorded meetings with CHS-1, Page either implicitly or explicitly denied that those relationships were with the Russian government. Additionally, during all of his meetings with CHS-1, Page never provided any information, evidence, or documentation indicating knowledge of any relationship between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. Rather, In this meeting, and on several occasions during their subsequent meetings, Page told CHS-1 that Trump wanted improved relations with the United States and Russia and Russian President Putin. At no time did Page discuss anything about the campaign working in concert with the Russian government. Third, CHS-1 initiated a discussion with Page about Papadopoulos, asserting that, quote, someone in Redacted said there's a guy in London, Papadopoulos, who's talking about the Trump campaign relations with the Russians, alluding to the information passed to the FBI by Australia that FBI officials stated formed the basis for the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Page, however, did not confirm or even address CHS-1's insinuation of a relationship between the Trump campaign and Russia. Let's look at these footnotes. Oh, man. Okay, where does this footnote start? Okay, this is a carryover. This email, email from Carter Page to Paul Manafort, Sam Clovis, and J.D. Gordon, dated July 25th, 2016. Email from Page to Hope Hicks and Manafort, dated August 15th, 2016. Email from Page to Hicks and Manafort, dated August 16th, 2016, the next day. Our investigation found no evidence that Manafort responded to any of these emails sent by Page. Now, here's why I said, oh. 
The three emails were contained on a thumb drive voluntarily provided to the FBI in August 2017 by an attorney representing then-President Trump. Okay, let's pause. Imagine if that's Michael Cohen. Imagine if in that Bragg case, Trump produces a document showing, see, Michael Cohen was on a retainer as my attorney because I needed him to do things like this. And this is one of the functions he served for me. Alternatively, it could be Rudy Giuliani. Or one of the other attorneys that y'all have names you've heard. But man, what if that is Michael Cohen? Because if it is, it blows Bragg's case up. It absolutely blows it up because his whole premise is that Trump was making payments to Michael Cohen to reimburse him for payments to Stormy Page. Cohen wasn't really representing Trump. Trump was in the White House. He was just paying Cohen back. But then what if, what if it turns out this was something Cohen did during that time? It proves that Trump was right, and he was paying Cohen to be his attorney. He wasn't reimbursing him. Oh, man. If that is Cohen, that is that is fire. Don't know that it is, but that would be fun. All right. Okay, where? Trump campaign in Russia. Rather, Page was somewhat dismissive of Papadopoulos' youth and described him as having gotten in some hot water. Over comments he, Papadopoulos, made about British Prime Minister David Cameron owing Trump an apology. Again, Page did not display any knowledge of an illicit relationship between the Trump campaign and Russia. Finally, when CHS1 again tried to elicit information on this subject by stating, quote, So this fellow Papadopoulos is just um, a young guy who's saying things that he shouldn't say or, or what? Page responded by simply stating, No, he's a fine guy. Again, Page did not state or display any knowledge of an existing relationship between the campaign and Russia, despite CHS-1's baited statements designed to elicit such information from Page. Page's recorded statements were significant because this was the first time Crossfire Hurricane investigators had an opportunity to obtain direct evidence that might corroborate or, alternatively, raise questions about the allegations passed on by Australia. In his first recorded conversations, Page did not corroborate his information. Did I say Stormy Page? I don't know if I did. I slept like three hours last night. So if I if I make a mistake like that, like say Stormy Page when I mean Michael Cohen or something, y'all will just have to forgive me. I may have messed up. Five days later, Mermaid says I did. Okay, yeah, my bad. 
I would not be surprised if I make that kind of mistake several times this morning. Randy, thank you very much for the rumble. Randy says, bicameral, solemn, happy Memorial Day. I like that. And uh, Boneslop, thanks again. Can people's names be represented as titles when information is classified? Yes. That's true. Yes. Five days later, after briefing, after a briefing concerning his first recording of Page was held at FBI headquarters for Deputy Director McCabe, Assistant Director Priestap, General Counsel Baker, Section Chief Strzok, Deputy General Counsel Anderson, and other FBI personnel. In addition to a discussion of the meeting between CHS-1 and Page, excerpts from the recorded meeting were played at the briefing. Again, James Baker comes up, and he's the one who provided that interesting information. It's a point on the board for Baker. He's still gray to me. I keep on finding reasons to believe he's a little bit more white hat than black hat. It's little things like that. Okay, this is 11.95. Romaine, Miss K, thank you very much. The receipt of the first deal report, publication of the Yahoo News article naming Page and Page's expressed willingness to be interviewed by the FBI. There was no additional meetings between Page and CHS-1 until almost two months later. In the interim, on September 19, 2016, FBI personnel conducting the Crossfire Hurricane investigation received documents that were represented to, to be intelligence-type products, authored by former British intelligence official Christopher Steele. These documents were part of what has become known collectively as the, quote, Steele dossier. While other sections of this report discuss in detail Steele and his reporting, two allegations relating to Page are relevant to this section. In particular, one allegation stated that, quote, there was a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation between, the, between them, the Trump campaign, and the Russian leadership that was managed on the Trump side by Paul Manafort, who was using foreign policy advisor Carter Page and others as intermediaries. In that role, Page purportedly served as liaison or go-between for the Trump campaign, Chairman Manafort and Russian officials working with the Trump campaign. This allegation was in stark contrast to and in direct conflict with what CHS-1 had recorded Page saying in August. Somewhat inexplicably, in subsequent meetings between CHS-1 and Page, CHS-1 never attempted to re-engage Page on the subject of his relationship with Manafort. Moreover, prior to submitting the initial FISA application to the FISC in October 2016, the Crossfire Hurricane investigators apparently never sought to obtain Page's email or phone records, whether from Page himself or otherwise, to verify or disprove Page's statement about his lack of relationship with Manafort. As a result, at no time, either before or during the electronic surveillance of Page, did the FBI resolve the glaring conflict between Page's unequivocal statement regarding Manafort and the critical assertion in the Steele reports that Page served as one of Manafort's liaisons to the Russians? 
The second page related allegation in this still reporting was a claim that in July 2016, while in Moscow to deliver a speech to the new economic school, Page met secretly with Vladimir Putin's ally and chief executive officer of Rosneft, Igor Sechin, and also with Kremlin internal affairs official Igor Devyekin. In late September, the allegations concerning Page's meetings with Sechin and Devyekin first made their way into the public domain with the publication of an article in Yahoo News authored by Michael Isakov. That bastard. In the article, Mr. Isakov wrote that Page, an American businessman who had been identified as a foreign policy advisor to then-presidential candidate Trump, was the subject of an investigation being conducted by U.S. US intelligence officials. The officials reportedly were trying to determine if Page was having private communications with senior Russian officials. The article went on to refer to a congressional source that said that, quote, Page's talks with senior Russian officials close to Vladimir Putin were being actively monitored and investigated, and that a senior U.S. law enforcement official did not dispute that characterization, stating, quote, it's on our radar screen, it's being looked at. The article credited a, quote, well-placed Western intelligence source as identifying Sechin and Divyekin, both of whom were alleged to be close to Putin as individuals with whom Page had met with while in Moscow. Footnote. So far, we were able, as we were able to determine, meaning the special counsel's office, the FBI did not refer for investigation this leak of highly sensitive information by a, quote, U.S. senior U.S. law enforcement official relating to an ongoing investigation of a presidential campaign. I bet it was McCabe, by the way. Next footnote. As discussed in greater detail in Section 4D1B6, the initial consensus of the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane investigators was that Steele, who himself was an FBI CHS, was the unnamed Western intelligence source referenced in that article. However, that consensus, which was set out in the footnotes of drafts in the initial page FISA application, changed for unexplained reasons shortly before the final version of the application was submitted to the FISC. That final version of the application attributed the leak of information not to Steele, but rather to Steele's employer, Fusion GPS. Two days after the publication of the Yahoo News article, Page sent a letter to FBI Director Comey. In that letter, Page requested that the FBI promptly end its inquiry into his recent trip to Russia. Page alluded to the fact that he had previously been interviewed by the FBI and specifically volunteered to speak to any member of the FBI, quote, in the interest of helping them put these allegations, outrageous allegations about him to rest. Page denied that he denied what he termed completely false media reports, stating, for the record, I have not met this year with any sanctioned official in Russia. Page also publicly stated that he had, quote, interacted with members of the U.S. intelligence community, including the FBI and CIA, for many decades. The FBI, however, 
did not take Page up on his offer to be interviewed. And indeed, the Crossfire Hurricane investigators were prohibited by FBI senior executives from approaching Page until Director Comey finally authorized an interview in March 2017, almost six months after Page's written offer. In this regard, FBI records reflect the following relevant link messages. This is interesting. On October 13th, 2016, one week before the initial page FISA application was submitted to the FISC, two Crossfire Hurricane investigators, Case Agent 1, a principal source of information for the page FISA application, and Special Agent 2, had the following exchange. Case Agent 1, it looks like MGMT management doesn't want us to do an interview right now. Special Agent 2, of course not. That would make too much sense. Case Agent 1. Yeah, exactly. We were told by Supervisory Special Agent 1 that management wants to see what we get from this meeting with CHS. Monday and what we see in the FISA. Shortly thereafter, the following exchange occurred between Special Agent 2 and Supervisory Special Agent 1. Agent 2. Yeah, Case Agent 1 says no appetite to interview Page either. That's stupid. Supervisory Special Agent 1. Yeah, dude, I don't know why we are even here. (laughs) Footnotes. Other parts of this report discuss the fact that Page had been interviewed several times previously by the FBI. Most recently in March of 2016, when he was interviewed as a potential trial witness for the government in the prosecution of three Russian nationals in the case known as U.S. versus Boryakov. Letter from Carter Page to FBI Director Comey, 1204. As discussed below, four days after this exchange on October 17, 2016, Page met with FBI CHS-1, who recorded their conversation. During the meeting, Page explicitly stated that he had not met with Sechin and that he did not even know who Div Yekin was. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Next footnote, link messages. Next one, link message exchange. FBI records make clear that the the decision not to interview Page was being driven by the top echelon of the FBI, including Comey and McCabe. Six months later, the following exchange occurred between Crossfire Hurricane personnel. So this is still in the footnotes. Special Agent 3 to Supervisory Special Agent 3. What's the over-under on getting the approval today from the deputy director? That would be McCabe. Supervisory Special Agent 3 to Special Agent 3. I bet you one cocktail of choice, the approval does not come today. Case Agent 1 to SSA 3. Do you think this happens today? SSA 3 to Case Agent 1. I already bet Special Agent 3 one cocktail of choice that the deputy director sits on it. Case Agent 1 to SSA 3. Question, what's the holdup with the Deputy Director? SSA 3 to Case Agent 1. It's the political sensitivities and the whole timing of everything. Next set of link messages. This is from March 8th, 2017. Case Agent 1 to Chicago Agent 1. We were all set to interview Paige this morning, but apparently we need Deputy Director to do it now. 
Chicago Agent 1 to Case Agent 1. Oh, great. These guys can smell that Andy McCabe is a piece of shit. You can, it comes through in their messages, doesn't it? They know it. They absolutely know that McCabe is the bastard who's screwing everything up and stopping them from taking the correct, normal, like, just common sense investigative steps. It's McCabe getting in the way. Support Operation Specialist 1 to Case Agent 1. Who is the holdup? Is it McCabe? Case Agent 1 to Support Operation Specialist. I'm wondering if it's McCabe or if it's Prestap holding off telling McCabe. Case Agent 1 to Support Operation. Deputy Director is good with it, waiting to hear from the big guy, and we're going to head out. Ah, so he says McCabe approved that they're waiting for Comey. Case Agent 1 to Support Specialist. We've been told to follow the letter that was sent to that he sent to McComey. We can't mention any names today. Case Agent 1 to Support Specialist 1. We're just waiting for the director to approve. They're in Boston together, so we anticipate it to be within the hour. Support Operations Specialist to Case Agent. So there's just been no word from the director. Is that literally all you guys are waiting on? Support Specialist to Case Agent. It's a normal investigative step. Who cares what the politics are? Support operation specialist to case agent. If if they don't want to look political, stop trying to not look political. <laughs> For some reason, that sounds like something BB would say. That's that's so true. Oh gosh. All right. Is that the end of those footnotes? Yeah. Okay, it is. It is clear from link message exchanges that there was frustration on the part of Crossfire Hurricane investigators over their inability to conduct a timely interview of Page. It is also clear from the messages sent by Case Agent 1, Special Agent 2, and their supervisor on the investigation, Supervisory Special Agent 1, that the timing and circumstances of the interview were not left to the individuals conducting and supervising the investigation, but rather... The decisions on those issues were effectively being made by the director and deputy director of the FBI. In this regard, according to McCabe, quote, Director Comey was getting daily briefings on this stuff regularly, and the director was intimately involved with the team that was working the case. Now, that's that quote is from the OIG interview of McCabe, but I want to say I'm just going to point something out, guys. I'm just going to point something out. It is in Director McCabe, Deputy Director McCabe's interest, his own self-preservation interest, to blame Comey for everything he did. It is absolutely 100% to McCabe's benefit to try and blame Comey for as much as possible because he, McCabe, is the real bad guy here. R.L. Skeeter, thank you for the rant. They ask, what is the status of Paige's lawsuit? Just asking. I haven't checked it in a while. I think he appealed it or refiled it, but I don't mind checking right now. Hold up. Um, Here it is. Paige v. Comey. I seem to remember he either... Something changed with it this year. I remember that. 
Yeah, okay. On January 18th, there was an order denying his motion for judgment and relief. And then Page appealed it to the D.C. Circuit Court. Um, this lawsuit from Page, Flynn's lawsuit, um, Trump's lawsuit against Clinton and her cohort cohorts, all of those are going to be massively helped by the Durham report. We observed that Page's letter to Director Comey was received, we being the, the special counsel's office, was being received by the FBI less than one week following the Crossfire Hurricane investigative team's receipt of some of the startling but uncorroborated steel reports. As noted above, those reports included, among a number of other allegations, specific claims that Page was serving as an intermediary between Manafort and Russian leadership and that Page had met with both Sechin and Devyekin while traveling to Russia in July 2016. As to the former, a detailed, as detailed above, Page had already been recorded on August 20th, 2016, informing CHS-1 that he had no relationship with Manafort and indeed had never even spoken with him. As to the latter claim, Page would be recorded on October 17th, 2016, informing CHS-1 that he had not met with Sechin as reported by Steele and was completely unfamiliar with Devyekin. During this same time frame, and as set forth in greater detail below, the Crossfire Hurricane investigative team was working with OI to secure authorization from the FISC for a FISA warrant on Page. An interview of Page at that time, for which he had volunteered, would have undoubtedly been beneficial to the nascent Crossfire Hurricane investigation. As noted, Page had previously been interviewed by the FBI on multiple occasions, unrelated to his work on the Trump campaign, and there was no indication of any reticence on his part to speak openly and at length with the FBI. Indeed, an interview with Page would have enabled the FBI to explore whatever topics were deemed relevant to the investigation, including, but not limited to, the following. 1. Page's assessment of Papadopoulos whose statement to the Australian diplomats had served as a predication for the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. At the time Page volunteered to be interviewed, he had already discussed Papadopoulos with CHS-1. 2. Page's relationship, if any, with Manafort, Sechin, and Divyekin, and other persons of interest to the investigators. 3. An evaluation of any person... Uh, of any in-person denials made by Page of the allegation contained in the Isakoff Yahoo News article, which would have served as the dual purpose or served a dual purpose of enabling the FBI to better assess the credibility of Steele dossier reporting by obtaining more detailed information about the allegations directly from Page. Four, explore with Page any contacts that he knew of or suspected between individuals working on the campaign and any Russian officials. Because he was familiar with Russia, the FBI might have been better able to assess the cred credibility of the media reporting on Trump's alleged relationship with Russian officials. An interview with Page also would have enabled the FBI to better assess the reliability of CHS-1. Finally, if the Crossfire Hurricane investigators believed that Page was not being candid they could have asked Page to submit to a voluntary polygraph exam and to produce relevant records. 
Bone Slop, thanks for the rant. I just noticed you answered that question about Carter Page. Yeah, it was dismissed and is being appealed. Liz Jen, thank you very much. Say great defected last night. Yeah, I really enjoyed defected last night. Thank you. Um, yeah, defected was fun last. I mean, I enjoy talking about kayfabe for an hour or two or three or four. <laughs> so it was a, uh, it was good. I I thought it was a lot of fun to flesh those things out. And both Burning Bright and I were surprised with how popular the kayfabe take was. I think. I know for me in particular, I've been getting lots of kayfabe pushback as of late. Um, like people literally getting mad at me and getting furious with me for entertaining the possibility of kayfabe about anybody. And uh, so I just kind of had like this impression that it wasn't popular. And uh, I was wrong. But I I enjoyed last night. I thought it went really well. Our presentation of taking it literally, and then taking a kayfabe as kayfabe. It was interesting to do those two, and it's always beneficial to think in those terms. I mean, this you're challenging yourself to change, alter your perspective, and um, entertain things from different perspective. Which whichever one is correct, you end up better informing yourself because you're just looking at it from different angles. Which is it's just good to think those ways. It's a good check on yourself. It's what the FBI didn't do during Crossfire Hurricane. <laughs> These members of Crossfire Hurricane never considered that they might be wrong in their predicate. <laughs> and any information that contradicted their predicate, they just ignored. <laughs> so, Bone Slop, thank you again. I feel like all of this is evidence of the sting. I do too. 100%. 100%. Patriot Donnie, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? I told you last time this is outrageous, Patriot Donnie. Right here. You are way too kind. I'm clicking on your name. Patriot Donnie, thank you very much. That's incredibly generous. And I mean, I just don't know what to say. Defected was awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you did too. Thank you so much, man. Um... I tell you what, after this show, I'm taking I'm taking my kids out to lunch and uh, it's on you, man. Thank you very much. <laughs> I really appreciate it. All right. We are on page 200 if you're keeping track. An interview with Page also would have enabled the FBI to better assess the reliability of CHS-1. Finally, if the Crossfire Hurricane investigators believed that Page was not being candid, they could have asked Page to submit to a voluntary polygraph exam, although there may have been a concern that interviewing Page would adversely affect the FBI's ability to secure a FISA warrant. Page had already denied the allegations in the Izakov article and the Steele reports, which he was not even aware at the time. In his letter to Director Comey, Page again, oh, that's pretty interesting. You know, Page was not familiar with what was in the Steele reports at this time, yet his letter to Director Comey had already denied some of those allegations that were in it. So how could he have provided contrary information to that stuff 
without being aware of what was in the steel reports unless he was literally telling Comey the truth, right? Page again denied the allegations in a September 26, 2016 Washington Post article calling them, quote-unquote, garbage. As previously noted and discussed in more detail below, in a recorded conversation with CHS1 on October 17, 2016, four days before the FISA surveillance application was approved, Page explicitly denied meeting with Sechin and Divyekin. All of Page's denials were characterized by the FBI in the initial FISA application, as discussed below, as not credible. If Page had further denied the allegations in an interview, those denials, too, could have been included in the application. Moreover, again, they also may have succeeded in getting Page to agree to take a voluntary polygraph examination on unresolved issues and areas of concern. Nevertheless, senior FBI management made the decision not to interview Page and instead continued to move forward on the FISA surveillance targeting Page. Notably, once Comey authorized an interview of Page to go forward in March 2017, Page set for five voluntary interviews and fully cooperated with the FBI, even going so far as to bring his own PowerPoint presentation to one of his interviews. In those interviews, Consistent with representations he made to CHS-1 in recorded conversations, Page denied meeting with Sechin and Divyekin. Additionally, and also consistent with what he said to CHS-1, Page denied ever meeting with or speaking to Manafort. Look at these footnotes. Complete garbage. The first two denials by Page in the letter to, to the director, Comey, and the Washington Post article were described as, quote, self-serving in the FISA affidavit. The latter denial was described as vague statements that minimized his activities. That's disgusting. Notably, one, once Comey authorized this, they went to those interviews, the United States Manafort, although the office recognizes the benefit of hindsight in reviewing investigative decision-making, the failure to promptly conduct a voluntary interview of Page, contemporaneous with his request for such an interview, was a missed opportunity to further assess on a timely basis and in a different light the actual value of the Papadopoulos information provided by Australia. It also was a missed opportunity to test the reliability of claims about Page contained in the Steele reports. Other investigative deficiencies with respect to Page in the office's assessment are discussed further below. On October 17, 2016, CHS-1 and Page had a second meeting, which was also recorded by CHS-1. Regarding the allegation in the steel reporting that Page had met with Sechin and Divyekin, Page expressly denied that he met with either one and described the reporting on the matter as lies planted in the media by Senator Harry Reid and the Clinton campaign. The, well, specifically the Clinton campaign team in Brooklyn, he said. Additionally, Page stated, quote, The core lie is that I met with these sanctioned Russian officials, several of which I never even met in my entire life. Later in the conversation, Page also advised CHS1 that Rosneft, Sechin's company, had denied that a meeting between Page and Sechin had taken place. Finally, Page referred to a story regarding an interview Trump campaign manager Kellyanne Conway conducted with CNN during which, according to Page, she said that, quote, 
Page is not allowed to talk to the Russians. He was never authorized. In relating this story, Page told CHS1, quote, I told everyone in the campaign, you know, I never actually talked to these people. So it's just kind of, you know, complete lies. CHS1 and Page also discussed Page's alleged meeting with Divyekin. Early in the meeting, neither Page nor CHS1 could even recall Divyekin's name, with Page wondering whether he may have shaken the hand of some unknown person who may have been Divyekin after his speech at the New York Economic School in Moscow in July 2016. With respect to Divyekin, the following exchange occurred. CHS1. And there's another one who worked for uh, Page. There's another guy, CHS1, Putin. I've never heard of, you know, he's, he's like in the inner circle. What's his name again? Page, I, I can't even remember. It's so outrageous. CHS1, yeah, right. He's in the inner circle. He works in the Kremlin or something. Footnotes. Okay, transcript of conversation between Page and CHS1. Case Agent 1 told the OIG that Crossfire Hurricane Team never fully transcribed. Whoa, whoa. The Crossfire Hurricane Team never fully transcribed that recording of a meeting between CHS1 and Page. Durham's investigation went and got the full recording and the full transcription. Quoting Rosnev, David Cohen, Conway denies. Okay. Hey, back to their conversation page. But he's, you know, he's not, he's not someone again. I, I was just asking. I wanted to double check, you know. I wanted to make sure that the graduation, you know, I called up the people that were there, you know, when I when I was a commencement speaker, you know, did I happen to shake hands with this guy? Like, this guy's just completely, you know, they don't even they don't even know of him. Like he's like, I mean, it's like, for example, a, a senior director on the NSC, right? I mean, they're not household names where, you know, later in the meeting, CHS1, not Page, recalled Divyekin's name. And the following exchange took place in which Page denied even having heard of Divyekin. CHS1, the guy that we were trying to think er, think of earlier is Divyekin Page. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, never heard of him until CHS1. I never heard of him either. Page, the Russian guys at the university who are kind of ins and outs, live in Moscow, right? They don't know him either. Page, I hadn't heard of him, you know? He's kind of, again, senior director on the NSC. Later in the conversation, in response to an inquiry as to whether Page would be attending the upcoming presidential debate in Nevada, Page advised that he was taking a break from the campaign. When CHS1 asked, quote, oh, you're not in touch with the campaign? Page responded, quote, I told them I, I need to fight out, fight against these FBI investigations. And, you know, it, it, it's not appropriate for me to be making statements if I'm officially affiliated with the campaign. At the end of the meeting, CHS1 and Page discussed the possible establishment of a think tank to be located in London focused on Russia's relations with the West a topic they had briefly discussed in their first meeting. After telling CHS1 that he liked the idea, Page said, quote, the only big question, obviously, like most things, is, you know, funding for it. In response, CHS1 stated that, quote, I would imagine 
that you could probably find funds. Returning to the topic a little later, Page said, well, the only interesting question CH1's name deleted on your point is, I don't want to say they'd be an open checkbook, but the Russians would definitely, at which time CHS1 interrupted saying they would fund it. Page then responded, mm-hmm. A few hours after this meeting, Supervisory Special Agent 1 contacted Strzok to provide a summary of it, which Supervisory Special Agent 1 had received from Case Agent 1. In that exchange, SSA 1 informed Strzok that Page, quote, did not deny knowing Sechin and outright denied knowing Divyekin. As an initial matter, Page denied meeting with either Sechin or Divyekin, the actual allegation set forth in the Steele report and contained in the initial FISA. You see how clever that is, guys? Like, or sinister? The way he portrayed it to Strzok, this SSA-1, the way he portrayed it to, to Peter Strzok was that, quote, Page did not deny knowing Sechin and outright denied knowing Divyekin. But more accurately, Page denied meeting either Sechin or Divyekin, which that's the actual allegation in the Steele report. For those of us who keep a question mark over Strzok, that right there is important. Supervisory Special Agent 1, however, accurately relayed Page's outright denial that he, ne- he, that he, that he did not know Divyekin. Minutes later, Supervisory Special Agent 1 cut and pasted his message to Strzok and sent it to both Brian Otten and Section Chief Maffa. Thus, as of October 17, 2016, a principal source of information for the FISA, Case Agent 1, the two most senior analysts on Crossfire Hurricane, Maffa and Otten, and the Deputy Assistant Director of Counterintelligence Division, Strzok, were all made aware of the fact that Page explicitly denied knowing Divyekin and should have been made aware that Page denied meeting with either individual. Nevertheless, Page's exculpatory statements were not included in the initial FISA application signed just four days later. Four, Crossfire Hurricane investigators submit the initial FISA application on on October 21st, 2016. On October 21st, 2016, four days after the second recorded meeting with Page, the department submitted its initial Page FISA application to the FISC, which the court granted that same day. Unbeknownst to the court at the time, the application contained numerous significant defects, many of which were identified by the OIG. I just want to point out for just a moment, not that I'm like a super fan of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, okay? But the judges on that court don't deserve the blame for all of this, for the Page FISAs. They don't deserve the blame for it. Because they're they're judges. They only see what is brought to them by the, the lawyers and the attorneys and the agents who come before them 
and present them material in order to get a surveillance warrant. So you can't, it's not right. It's not fair to the judges and it's just wrong to blame them for the page FISA um, approvals because they only know what was presented to them. And Durham's pointing that out right here. The judges were completely ignorant of the defects with the material that was presented to them for the page FISA warrants. They weren't aware of it. And, um, anyway, I just want to make that point because it's really, it's, it's really easy to blame the judges and think that they were in on it too, but it's not, it's not accurate. The, the judges were wronged here. Um, yeah. In support of the application, um, the FBI made several assertions that directly, and actually, okay. <laughs> One of the judges that was famously wronged by this um, ended up being the special master in the Trump Mar-a-Lago lawsuit. Pardon me. And um, I think I think that was one of the tells that there's a coordination between the Trump team and the FBI and that the Mar-a-Lago raid is not an action actually against Trump because both DOJ and Trump team agreed to let that judge be special master. They were both like, oh yeah, this guy would be a great special master. Both sides agreed on it. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think that's a small tell. Um, anyway, in support of the application, the FBI made several assertions that directly conflicted with explicit statements made by Page in the two recorded conversations with CHS-1. One such assertion was the FBI's assessment that Page was still likely involved with the Trump campaign despite the fact that, one, Page told CHS-1 that he was taking a break from the campaign. Two, campaign officials by then, officials by then, had publicly distanced themselves from Page and his purported contacts with the Russians. And three, the campaign manager had publicly stated that Page was not part of the campaign that she was running. The FISA application attributed this assessment to the fact that because Page was one of the campaign's first foreign policy advisors and had established relationships with other members of the campaign, this would enable him to have continued access to these advisors and would have attempt and he would attempt to exert influence on foreign policy matters regardless of any formal role he played in the campaign. This assertion was unsupported by actual evidence that such continued involvement in the campaign was occurring. Looking at these footnotes. Okay. Additionally, notwithstanding Page's explicit denial to CHS-1 and Director Comey of meeting with either Sechin or Divyekin in July 2016, an uncorroborated claim that had been included in the Steel Reports and publicized in the Yahoo News article the FISA application mischaracterized and misrepresented Page's words and actions regarding this subject matter. In particular, the FISA application stated that during his meeting with CHS-1, quote, Page did not provide any specific details to refute, dispel, or clarify the media reporting, and he made vague statements that minimized his activities. This assertion, however, seriously misrepresents Page's recorded statements set forth above. Finally, even though Page told CHS-1 that he was taking a break from the Trump campaign, the FISA application implies that the opposite was true 
It said of Page's discussion on October 17th, quote, during this meeting with CHS1, Page said that he was no longer officially affiliated with the Trump campaign, but added that he may be appearing in television interview within the next week when he travels to the United Kingdom. According to Page, the interview will be discussing the potential change in U.S. foreign policy as it pertains to Russia and Syria if Trump wins the election. Accordingly, although Page claimed that he is no longer officially affiliated with the campaign, the FBI assesses that Page continues to coordinate with the Russian government and perhaps others in efforts to influence the U.S. presidential election. That is outrageous. That is absolutely outrageous. The FBI assesses that Page continues to coordinate with the Russian government and perhaps others in efforts to influence the U.S. presidential election. There was not one iota of evidence that that was the case. Footnotes. The initial FISA application on page contained numerous assessments. That was one of them. Similar to the aforementioned statement, which, whether correct or incorrect, conflicted with page explicit statements. Next footnote, in Crime in Progress, authors Glenn Simpson and Peter Fritch, owners of the investigative firm Fusion GPS that hired Steele to investigate Trump, write about a series of background interviews they arranged with selected journalists, including Michael Isakoff. For Steele to share the results of his research, Simpson and Fritch wrote that the information provided by Steele was only to be attributed to a, quote, former senior Western intelligence official. The Isakoff article, however, identified the person providing the information as a Western intelligence source. Steele also admitted in an interview with special counsel Mueller's office that he had provided the information to the American media specifically to Mother Jones. Finally, Steele admitted in testimony given in a civil suit filed in the United Kingdom that in September, he and Glenn Simpson had meetings in Washington, D.C. with a number of journalists and shared his information with them. Yeah. Okay. The Crossfire Hurricane personnel assessed, without citing any particular fact, or explaining the basis for the assessment, that this discussion of a possible television interview was somehow evidence that Page was continuing to coordinate with the Russian government, and perhaps others, in an effort to influence the U.S. presidential election. In support, the application asserted that Page's discussion with CHS-1 during their October 17, 2016 meeting about the possibility of him, Page, doing an interview with a British television personality on the implications of a Trump campaign victory on the relationship of the United States with Russia and Syria, belied his statement to CHS-1 that he was taking a break from the campaign. Five, the third recording of Page. <clears throat> Approximately two months after the initial Page FISA surveillance warrant was authorized, Page and CHS-1 had a third meeting on December 15, 2016. The meeting covered a number of topics. 
At the outset of the meeting, CHS-1 initiated a general discussion of the potential Russian think tank in London. After CHS-1 discussed a possible partnership with a particular UK-based entity in establishing the think tank, Page advised CHS-1 that he had been, quote, kind of talking with the New York economic, with the new economic school a little bit, and they were actually quite, quite positive. Page went on to note that, quote, they've got a lot of support internally, you know. When CHS-1 asked whether the, quote, support was from faculty or from the government or what, Page responded, quote, from the government, yeah, high level. Later, Page and CHS-1 had a more general discussion regarding logistics of such a think tank, discussing issues such as funding and location. When CHS-1 noted that, quote, you, Page, said last time we met that, um, can I, I got back to you. You thought you had the funding lined up. You said the Russians are giving you a blank check. Page responded, well, I don't know what that I went that far. I thought there was some support of, you know, certainly uh, this trip proved it. But I think, you know, having an institutional base, they said, they said, well, come back to us with a proposal. So, you know, and they, again, very high level people, these Russians were quite supportive of a particular type of entity. That's interesting. You see this right here? Durham does not include the description of what entity. He just says, very high-level people, Rus Russians, were quite supportive of a particular type of entity. I wonder why he doesn't tell us exactly what it is. They'd previously said think tank, so... I would infer he did not say think tank here. Hmm. Nevertheless, Page later noted during the conversation that, quote, some people have warned me, be careful with having too much Russian connection for obvious reasons. Finally, Page and CHS1 discussed logistical information about possibly setting up the think tank in London potentially to be sponsored by a UK entity. During this meeting, Page also told CHS1 that according to the press, he, Page, was under FBI investigation. Page made this statement in response to an inquiry regarding Page's next trip to Moscow. Page said that he had been invited to Christmas parties at Russian energy companies Gazprom and Rosneft but had told them, quote, I said, I, I got enough investigation going along. There's an intelli unintelligible word there. Um, he probably said bullshit. <laughs> I said, I got enough investigating investigation bullshit going on. That makes a lot of sense to me. CHS one then asked page who was investigating him. And the, in response, page said, quote, Oh, the FBI, the whole IC. Well, that's what the press says. You know, no one has contacted me. Six, CHS-1's misrepresentation of Crossfire Hurricane investigators of his, her conversation with Page regarding Page's alleged meeting with Sechin. Approximately one week after the December 15th meeting between Page and CHS-1, Case Agent 1 had a link message exchange with SSA-1. Case Agent 1 advised SSA-1 SSA that CHS-1 had reached out to him that day and had advised Case Agent 1 that CHS-1 had just remembered that Page had told CHS-1 
that he, Page, had met with Sechin on Page's most recent trip to Russia. That was so convoluted. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I feel like I need to go, like, brush my teeth or something. That was so convoluted to say all that. Ugh. Okay. One week at, let me see if we can understand this. One week after the December 15th meeting with Page and CHS1, the case agent had an exchange with the supervisory special agent. The case agent told the supervisory special agent that CHS had reached out to him and had advised him that CHS-1 had just remembered magically that Page had told him that he had met with Sechin on Page's most recent trip to Russia. So all of a sudden, a week after the meeting, this guy's son was like, oh yeah, I just remembered, Page told me he met with Igor Sechin. Isn't that interesting? I'm so glad I remembered. I just happened to be watching TV and it occurred to me. When Supervisory Special Agent 1 expressed what appeared to be skepticism about CHS-1's claim, Case Agent 1 responded that CHS-1 stated that he or she had remembered Page's statement after reading Sechin's name in the paper. Wow. Crazy how that happened. There's a footnote for it. Case Agent 1. Quote, CHS reached out to me today, remembered that Page told him that he met with Sech on his past trip. Special Agent Supervisor, Supervisor Special Agent 1 said, oh, come on. <laughs> his reply was, come on. Case Agent 1, yep, that said CHS just remembered it yesterday after reading Sechin's name in the newspaper. Superva Supervisory Special Agent 1 said, quote, we need that audio then. <laughs> the SSA was like, I'm going to need a receipt for that. That's hilarious. Okay. Let's go back up here. What's the next footnote? It's going to be 1241. Where does it occur in this paragraph? Okay, here. Okay. When Supervisory Special Agent 1 expressed what appeared to be skepticism, he said, remember paper. In a link exchanged two days later with a Crossfire Hurricane analyst, who is Analyst 1, Case Agent 1 advised Analyst 1 that he was trying to determine when Page advised CHS 1 of his purported meeting, while also expressing skepticism that such a meeting had occurred. Case Agent 1 speculated with Analyst 1 that Page may exaggerate things about his meetings. Analyst 1 concurred with Case Agent 1, additionally speculating that there was would be no benefit for Sechin in meeting with Page. It doesn't make any sense that he would. Case Agent 1, quote, I'm trying to find out when he told CHS that he met with Sechin. Analyst 1, quote, man, yeah, I don't, I don't get him or Co Ooh, Cohen. What is this? What is this? Case Agent 1, quote, I'm trying to find out when he told CHS he met with Sechin. Analyst one, man, yeah, I, I just don't really, I just don't get him or Cohen at all. It's like they are living in a dream world. 
That would be pretty interesting if you really did meet with them. Analyst one, what possible reason would Sechin have to meet with him now? Serves no benefit to him. Case agent one, I really believe he exaggerates his meetings. He may have been in a meeting where he was one of 200 people. UK Neil, Mermaid Miss K, anybody else who's on the, uh, you know, interested in Cohen being Trump secretly on Trump's team. If you read the drops, that's the most plain reading of them, that Cohen is one of Trump's people and it's not actually against Trump. Interesting that Cohen just popped up right here. We were just earlier wondering if Cohen was the guy who handed over emails. And then we were just wondering earlier, who could this CHS one be who's recording conversations with Carter page? Who could that be? And we tossed out Cohen, Felix Sater, Rudy Giuliani. Interesting that Cohen pops up right here in the context of this conversation, dealing with a CHS and Page. This really makes me think that Cohen is the CHS or something right here. He's a player in this right here. And this, this analyst is like, I don't really get what these guys are doing. Very interesting. Okay, a review of the December 15th recorded meeting clearly shows, however, that Page made no such statements to CHS1. Although there was a brief discussion by the two about Secretary of State nominee Rex Tillerson's relationship with Sechin. Oh man, I want to read that transcript. I want to see what they said about him. And the accusation made by Senator Harry Reid that Page had purportedly met with Sechin, which was referenced in a recent Washington Post column by Josh Rogan. <clears throat> Page never advised CHS1 that he had met with Sechin on a recent post-trip elect election trip to Russia. As noted above, Supervisory Special Agent 1 told Case Agent 1 that they needed to listen to the audio of the recording. If, in fact, the Crossfire Hurricane investigators listened to the recording, they either missed this fact or elected not to make it known to the OI lawyers with whom they were working on the page FISA applications. It was an inconvenient fact, guys. It was an inconvenient. It didn't, it didn't serve their end, so they just decided to ignore it. In either event, CHS1's misstatement of an important fact was significant, and the information provided to the FBI by CHS1, again, according to the case agent one, regarding his conversation with Page was used in all four of the Page FISA applications. GP Shia. Thank you very much for the rumble rant. They say, I tagged you on truth with photos of a crane like the one you described on Defected. Oh, man. You're going to get me digging into cranes again. I can't believe we got into talking about cranes last night, but I also can totally believe it because I'm that kind of nerd. Um, thank you. I will go and find it after the show. Thank you. I will go and find, I, I will find, I want to say, I remember the crane, the brand was Manitoba or something like that. I want to, I think I looked the, the company up. 
and I think it was a German brand, maybe. Is, Man- is it Manitoba or Manitoba or something like that? Well, I, 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 I shouldn't get into this. I'm going to start talking about cranes. I'm so fascinated with this one crane. Thank you. I will. I will. Uh, I will find it in my mentions on True Social, and uh, and talk with you about it. Okay. Seven. What time is it? Eleven twenty-two a.m. Let me see how much long how much longer this section is. Yes, we can totally get we can totally get into this section. Manitowoc, Manitoba. It's, it's something like that. Um, I remember it was a German company. Okay, okay I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to start thinking about cranes. All right. Before I go on to the, this next section, I just want to toss this out there real quick. If you're liking the show, if you're enjoying it. Please hit the thumbs up over on Rumble. That really helps me out. So far, every single one of my Durham Report um, coverage here, all my Durham Report um, readings here, have landed on the leaderboard, either in the 20s or the 30s. And that blows me away. That absolutely blows me away that there's that many people interested in this and I'm getting upvotes and it's making the leaderboard on Rumble. Really appreciate it. So if you like it, then please hit that thumbs up and help me make that leaderboard. Patriot Donnie, I see you're leaving. Thank you very much for your generosity. God bless you, sir. Ha- have a great day, man. Thank you so much. Um, I see some people saying they're praying for you. I missed what was going on, but God bless you. And everybody say a prayer for Patriot Donnie. Um, thanks, man. I'll see you next time. Whatever's going on, God bless you. All right, before we get to this next section, yeah, if you like what I'm doing, hit that thumbs up on Rumble. If you would like the if you would like my show as a podcast, go to justhuman.substack.com, sign up. Everything on there is free. That's where I put my podcast. You can Get it there, and then you can link it to whatever podcast app you use. You can it just there's a way for you to just copy paste the link for it, and it'll load into your podcast player from then that point on. It'll download it for you. You can get it, or you can just use the Substack app to listen to it if you prefer. It's also where I put articles out occasionally, and there's another one coming once I finish this Durham report. Um Substack is also the number one way to support what I do. Substack has been awesome for me and for other content creators, writers, journalists, etc. It's been a great company. They're currently under attack right now. Um, you may have seen that going around. The uh, usual suspects are going after leftist activists. They're going after Substack and trying to get Substack to kick me and a whole bunch of other people off. And I don't think Substack is going to succumb to it. I don't think they're as weak as Buy Me a Coffee turned out to be. But it is a thing going on. So um, I want to tell you that Substack is the number one way to support what I do if you want to get a paid subscription there. Also, prayers that Substack doesn't fold. They've been under pressure before and they didn't fold. I hope they'll, they'll continue to hold strong. Additionally, If you want to support the show, there's another way and you can get something in return for it that's very sweet, and that is Benson Honey. If you go to BensonHoneyFarms.com and you make some purchase of honey or candy or honey sticks or um, 
barbecue sauce, t-shirts, air fresheners, soap, whatever it is that you want to get. Um, go there and get something. Use rep code just human. You get yourself something sweet and then I get a kickback out of it, basically. It helps me. It helps you. You're buying honey directly from the beekeepers. There's no processing and there's no pasteurization there's no filtering it's not heated it's just pure raw delicious honey and then finally you can go to redwhitebourbon45.com get yourself a just human coffee mug or a number of other just human items that are here um i hate being called an influencer but that's what i'm under over here if you go to influencer collection you can find me patrick gunnels and philosophy I have some t-shirts on there. I have some stickers. I have shot glass, uh, beer koozies, like pint glasses, all this stuff. You're welcome. Come over here. Take a look at it. If you find something you like, you get an item. I get a kickback out. I get a few dollars after uh, out of what you spend on here. So those are the best ways to support the show. All right. Back to the, the reading here. The first renewal of the page FISA warrant. Less than a month after the third recorded meeting between Page and CHS1, the FBI received authorization from the FISA court to continue its surveillance of Page for an additional 90 days. The renewal application, like the application to initiate the surveillance, included misrepresentations and mischaracterizations of the recorded conversations. Additionally, the same errors that were contained in the first FISA application were repeated in the renewal application. As noted in the OIG review, the failure to correct these errors in the first FISA renewal application was repeated in the second and third renewal applications. Specifically, the OIG noted that the first renewal application omitted information the FBI had received from persons who previously had professional interactions with Steele and who in part questioned both his judgment and his pursuit of individuals with political risk, but no intelligence value. Moreover, as noted later in the OIG review, Another significant error in the renewal applications was the omission of a recorded statement made to a second FBI CHS, which is CHS2, by Papadopoulos. In that recorded conversation, Papadopoulos expressly denied any knowledge of the Trump campaign's involvement in the circumstances surrounding the hack of the DNC computers. Looking at footnotes, no records... No records were provided to the office by the FBI, which reflect that the recording had been reviewed and its specific contents were shared with the DOJ lawyers working on the page FISA. Reflecting on the recording was not reviewed, and the investigating agents relied on CHS. Okay. In addition to those defects, the first renewal application included mischaracterizations about the details of the December 15, 2016 meeting between Page and CHS-1. In particular, it mischaracterized the nature of their discussions concerning the creation of a potential think tank focusing on Russian relations with the West. An objective reading of the transcript and review of the recordings of the two conversations between Page and CHS-1 on this subject in both the October 17, 2016 meeting and the December 15, 2016 meeting reflect that 
although the two engaged in a general discussion about the possibility of establishing such an entity, neither discussed the specific details that would be required for such a project to move forward. Further, although they generally discussed the possible location of the think tank and possible sources of funding, the renewal application asserted that, quote, according to more recent reporting from CHS-1, in the December meeting, CHS-1 asked Page for additional information regarding the financials for the proposed think tank. According to CHS-1, Page initially attempted to distance the think tank from Russian funding. When CHS-1 reminded Page of his previous statement regarding the open checkbook, Page did not refute his previous comment and provided some reassurance to CHS-1 about the likelihood of Russian financial support. That assertion, based on the language in the application, perhaps was premised on information provided to the Crossfire Hurricane investigators by CHS-1 rather than the actual words spoken by Page, as captured in CHS-1's recording of the meeting. As provided to the FISC, however, the assertion is an inaccurate representation of the conversation. As noted above, when CHS-1 stated to to Page, quote, you said the Russians are giving you a blank check. Page immediately responded, well, I, I don't know that I went that far. I thought there was some support. The actual language used by Page is inconsistent with CHS-1's assertion to Page that Page had been promised a, quote, blank check by the Russians. The assertion in the FISA application was, at a minimum, incomplete. That's being too kind, Mr. Durham. The first renewal application also stated that the FBI assessed that Page's attempts to downplay Russian funding may have been an attempt by him to soften his connection to Russia or, alternatively, may have been the result of an instruction from the Russians not to discuss any possible Russian financial involvement. There is nothing in the actual conversation between the two men, however, that would give rise to such an assessment. A fair and objective reading of the actual conversation indicates that the source of funding, if any, by the Russians was undermined and also, as noted above, according to Page, subject to Page submitting a written proposal. And as previously noted, during this discussion with CHS-1, Page also mentioned that, quote, some people have warned me, be careful with having too much Russian connection for obvious reasons. Instead of including Page's verbatim statements regarding Russian funding in the application, the FISA application makes assertions about funding that are at odds with what Page actually told CHS-1 as reflected in the recording of the meeting. Moreover, the renewal application was submitted to the FISC only three weeks after Case Agent 1's conversations with Supervisory Special Agent 1 and Analyst 1 regarding CHS-1's misstatements that Page had advised CH-1 that he, Page, had met with Sechin during a post-election Russia trip, or trip to Russia. Because of their apparent skepticism about this, this claim by CHS-1, this issue should have been brought to the attention of the OI attorneys working on the application, as well as the FISC. However, the office found no evidence that it was appropriately addressed. In a number of instances, the Page FISA application relied on assessments to address what otherwise appeared to be plainly exculpatory statements by Page. 
because of the sensitive and classified nature of those portions of one or more of the FISA applications, review of those assessments is set forth in the classified appendix to this report. Hmm. Man, I want to see that section. <laughs> the classified index has some juicy stuff in it. Huh. You know, he mentioned the he mentioned the DNC hack just up here. I'm pretty sure there's some DNC hack stuff in the classified appendix. All right, part eight, the fourth recording of page made by CHS one on January 25th, 2017. On January 25th, 2017, less than two weeks after the first renewal of the page FISA surveillance order was granted. CHS one met with and recorded page for the fourth and final time. Importantly, on January 10th, 2017, BuzzFeed News had published the contents of the Steele reports. The next day, the Wall Street Journal identified former British MI6 intelligence officer Christopher Steele as the author of the reports. Unsurprisingly, the reports were a topic of conversation as Page and CHS1 began their fourth meeting. In response to Page's inquiry as to whether CHS1 knew Steele, the MI6 guy, CHS1 responded, no, I never did. I never met him. Page then speculated that former MI6 director Richard Dearlove, who had attended the same July 2016 gathering that Page and CHS1 had. Ooh, okay, now we know that this CHS was with Page when he went to Moscow in July 2016. That will help us identify him, who, who he is. I'll have to look into that later. 1257. Okay, transcript. Yeah. Yeah, we can use some we can do some sleuthing and maybe figure out who CHS won because now we know he went to that same Moscow speech. Okay. Must have known Steele. CHS one responded, quote, Yeah, Dear Love would know him. I mean, Dear Love knew any everybody in, in six, and in six is a small organization. So this is somebody who's going to be is familiar with intelligence because he's talking about MI6 and Page is thinking that it's possible that CHS1 knew Christopher Steele. So this is an intelligence guy. This is an operator. It's not just someone in the campaign that happens to know Page. It's an operator. Okay. CHS1 went on to state that, quote, he, meaning Steele, certainly produced laughing, electrifying memoranda, didn't he? Page responded, well, you know, I mean, it's it's just so false that we're back... It, that where, and there's background noise right there, where do you begin and it's unintelligible? Yeah, it's just all false. Where do you even begin? This exchange contained yet another denial by Page of the allegations made about him in the Steele reports, but this specific denial was never brought to the attention of the FISC in the second and third renewal applications for the Page FISA surveillances. During the fourth recorded conversation, Page complained to CHS1 about being under surveillance by the FBI, comparing his plight to that faced by Martin Luther King Jr., who had been under FBI surveillance during the time that J. Edgar Hoover served as FBI, FBI director. Page informed CHS1 
that both he and King were under surveillance for exercising their constitutional rights of freedom of speech and freedom of expression. The footnote. Okay. Later, CHS1 again turned the conversation to a discussion of the establishment of the possible think tank focused on relations with Russia and the West and the finances related to such an endeavor. CHS1 told Page, I think if you could bring some Russian money to the table, uh, I might be able to help you get some U.S. money. Page, mm mm-hmm. CHS1, that could be useful, you know. Shortly thereafter, CHS1 raised the think tank issue again, and the following exchange occurred. CHS1, I think the real issue you have to deal with is the decision whether you want to create a think tank, and you know, once you make that decision, then we could talk about money and personnel. But you could take your time and think carefully, Paige. Here's the problem with taking the time. And this is why I'm kind of anxious, and this is my conversation last month in Moscow. The momentum is building, you know? The Cold War of sort. You know, like, it's people trying to show that they're not un-American. Later in the conversation, Paige indicated to CHS1 that he believed the Russians were, quote, fully on board But the question is, you know, the who, what's, why's, when's, and how's, you know? CHS1 and Page then discussed possible dollar amounts for starting the think tank, with each discussing finding sponsors to share in the cost. Page initially suggested a million dollars, and CHS1 suggested he or she did not think that he or she could raise even a million bucks, but said to Page, and this is CHS1, uh, if they, referring to the Russians, could come up with a million and you could tell them they could keep the doors open for a year with that. And then I could try to find whatever I can get to add to it. A short time later, not hearing any firm commitment from page regarding the establishment of the think tank. CHS one stated, quote, I'm just sort of blue sky here. I'm not trying to, you know, persuade you really to do this. The various discussions between Page and CHS1 regarding the possible creation of a think tank occurred over the course of their four conversations. The first occurred, albeit briefly, in their first meeting in August 20th, August 20th, 2016, with more extensive discussions occurring in the three follow-up meetings on October 17th, December 15th, and then January 25th. However, none of the conversations advanced the establishment of the think tank from the aspirational to the concrete. The FBI's original language referring to the initial discussions between Page and CHS1 regarding the think tank and the possibility of Russian funding did not change in the first three FISA applications, the original plus two renewal applications. However, some additional language regarding this issue was added in the final renewal application. In that application, the FBI wrote, quote, based on more recent information developed through its ongoing investigation of Page, The FBI now assesses that Page is no longer interested in establishing a think tank, likely due to lack of funding. Later in their January 25th, 2017 conversation, Page again advised CHS1 that the stories about him and Russia were false. Page stated that the, quote, false evidence isn't the fault of the Bureau. There's been lots of reports the Bureau sort of pushed back on this. And the fact that they never contacted me says something as well. I think it does too. Finally, Page told CHS1 the following regarding the allegations against him. Page, you know, what a complete lie. 
What a complete sham. CHS one, but you know, and this is the big fraud, said Page. If you look at the narrative that was defined all around using government resources based on completely false evidence, and again, false evidence is a crime. Page subsequently told CHS one, quote, let's see where this all started. This all started based on complete, utter lies, right? I find this sentence pretty fascinating from Page. The false evidence isn't the fault of the Bureau. There's been lots of reports the Bureau sort of pushed back on this. And the fact that they never contacted me says something as well. I agree. Because it's a, it's a sting. It's a sting. Some bad actors outside the FBI got together with some bad actors in the FBI and they created all this. And the good guys in the FBI said, oh, y'all are just going to take that bait, huh? Well, I'll just sit back and watch and document everything you do. The second and third renewals of the Page FISA applications. The Crossfire Hurricane investigators sought a second renewal of the FISA authorization, which was granted by the FISC in April 2017. While there was only one additional recorded conversation between Page and CHS1 during the time between the first renewal of the FISA, the FISA warrant, and the second application for a renewal, there were sig- several significant events that occurred in the Crossfire Hurricane investigation during that time. These included the five interviews that the FBI eventually conducted with Page in March 2017. As noted above, these interviews occurred nearly six months after Page wrote to Director Comey volunteering to be interviewed. Additionally, in late January 2017, the FBI conducted a three-day interview of Steele's primary subsource, Igor Danchenko, who Steele relied heavily upon to gather information for inclusion in the Steele reports. Finally, as discussed below, during that same approximate time period, the FBI made a series of recordings of conversations between a second CHS, CHS-2, and Papadopoulos. The recordings were made in an effort to capture relevant information about the Australian communication that was the basis for opening Crossfire Hurricane. At the expiration of the second FISA Renewal Authority, the Crossfire Hurricane investigators sought, and were granted, a third renewal of authority to conduct FISA surveillance of Page. As noted previously, however, the Crossfire Hurricane investigators did not correct the errors, omissions, and misrepresentations that were contained in both the original FISA application and the first renewal application at the time they submitted the second and third renewal applications to the FISA, to the FISC. Moreover, additional significant problems were identified by the OIG and also in a later investigation conducted by the FBI's Inspection Division. In the second and third renewal applications, one of the most significant problems relates to Page's recorded statements telling CHS1 that he never met with Sechin or Divyekin, his public statements to the same effect, and his statements to the FBI during his five interviews when compared to information provided to the court, the FISA court, in the three renewal ap- applications. Because of the sensitive and classified nature of those portions of one or more of the FISA renewal applications, 
review of this issue is necessarily contained in the classified appendix to this report. Hmm. Because of the sensitive and classified nature of those portions. What portions? Portions related to Pages recorded statements about Sechen and Divyekin, public statements to the same effect, and his statements to the FBI during five interviews. Why, what could possibly be so sensitive and highly classified in those? Huh. That's really interesting. Okay, how how long is this section? Okay, we're we're going to keep going for just a little while longer. Okay, recording of a high-level Trump campaign foreign policy advisor by CHS1 on September 1st, 2016. In addition to the four recordings, CHS1 made of meetings with Page. CHS1 also recorded a breakfast meeting he or she had in early September 2016 with a high-level Trump campaign foreign policy advisor. Quote, the Trump senior foreign policy advisor one, who was not, okay, wait a minute, what was this right here? Okay. He was not a subject of the FBI's investigation. As CHS1 had a background in policy development through his or her work in several presidential administrations and campaigns. Okay, there's another clue as to who CHS1 is. They did work in several presidential administrations and campaigns. And it was not unusual for CHS1 to request a meeting with Trump's senior foreign policy advisor one. There's more clues right there. More clues right there. A prospective meeting between the two had been discussed beforehand during CHS1's first meeting with Page, who encouraged CHS1 to have a meeting. And this meeting occurred approximately 10 days after CHS1 first met with Page. FBI records reflect that, prior to the meeting, there had been discussions among FBI personnel about the sensitivities surrounding meeting with a high-level campaign figure and the need to ensure the conversation would remain focused on topics relevant to the main purpose of the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, namely, whether there was evidence of collusion between the Russian officials and persons associated with the Trump campaign. Those discussions also covered the possibility that the conversation between CHS-1 and the foreign policy advisor might digress into campaign strategy and tactics with the FBI personnel involved in the discussions expressing concern that such topics were to be avoided, if at all possible. We, Special Counsel's Office, note that Crossfire Hurricane investigators properly recognized that other sensitive topics unrelated to the Crossfire Hurricane investigation might come up in the conversation given CHS-1's background and Trump's senior foreign policy advisor's position in the Trump campaign. Footnote, wherein former Assistant Director Priestap told the OIG that, quote, the team discussed the objectives of having the CHS engage 
with members of the Trump campaign and the need to steer clear of collecting campaign information, dealing with policies, plans, staffing decisions, or anything related. Priestap also said that it's not always possible once people start talking to to a source to stay on point because the target of the operation may tell a source about the topic as well as a lot of additional information. Although there were a number of topics covered by CHS one and Trump's senior foreign policy advisor one that were unrelated to crossfire hurricane. They also discussed several matters that were directly relevant to the investigation. At one point during the conversation, CHS one while referencing his or her prior experience in a presidential campaign stated quote CHS one. We were accused of having an October surprise. What do you guys got going? You have WikiLeaks out there advisor. We have a lot hanging over our head. September 13th, the state department has to produce those emails. That's a big deal. CHS one. You can do something with that advisor. Absolutely. This portion of the conversation appears to have been intended to elicit information from Trump's senior foreign policy advisor, one, about any knowledge the advisor had regarding WikiLeaks disclosures of DNC-related emails and the Russians. <clears throat> Trump's senior foreign policy advisor, one, however, did not touch on WikiLeaks in their response to CHS-1, instead focusing on a then-upcoming public release of former Secretary Clinton's emails by the State Department. Trump's senior foreign policy advisor one told CHS one that the campaign could absolutely make use of those soon to be released documents. Trump's senior foreign policy advisor one one's response to CHS one's question about the WikiLeaks issue was not mentioned in any of the FISA applications, even though the WikiLeaks disclosures believed to have been facilitated by Russian intelligence services intrusions into DNC computers were mentioned in all four FISA applications. Yeah, that confirms it, guys. That confirms it. Those sections earlier, those two other sections earlier where Trump, where uh, Trump, where Durham wrote that there's more about this in the classified section, it's, it has to do with DNC hack. That I think that right there confirms it because DNC hack or information about DNC hack were in was in all four of the page FISA applications. That's what's classified. That's what's in that, or that's at least some of what's in that classified index. Okay. Later in their conversation, CHS one and Trump senior foreign policy advisor one briefly discussed WikiLeaks founder, Julian Assange, and then discussed possible Russian influence on the election. The following exchanges took place. CHS one, the front page of the New York times is about Julian Assange. What can you do to offset their worry? about Russian influence in the Trump campaign. Advisor. To the average voter, it's a non-starter. In this city, it's a big deal. New York, big deal. From the perspective of the average voter, there is no connection. Advisor. About Russian influence, we need to raise the level of abstraction to discuss the security of a voter interaction. It is up to each state to provide security. Make sure every state has secured its system. CHS1, what I am concerned with is the impression that Russia has a hand in what we are doing. Carter Page, for example, 
He made a speech in Moscow I know you are familiar with, and there was a tilt in the speech that was alarming. <coughs> Advisor. It's important to you and me, but not the campaign, except to say no interference in our electoral process. Although this portion of the recorded conversation covered topics which were of interest to the Crossfire Hurricane investigators, i.e. Julian Assange, Russian influence, and Page's speech at the New Economic School, there was nothing said or discussed by Trump's senior foreign policy advisor one regarding any of these issues that would evidence any type of assistance being provided by the Russians to the Trump campaign. In fact, even though these issues were raised by CHS-1, the advisor did not engage in the prompts or baited statements advanced by CHS-1 to speak to, or to spark confirmation of Russian assistance to the Trump campaign. Again, however, even though this recorded conversation was with a senior foreign policy advisor to the campaign, and the tenor of the conversation between CHS-1 and the advisor provided no indication of assistance being provided to the campaign by the Russians, there is no mention of this meeting nor any or of anything said by the Trump senior foreign policy advisor one at the meeting in any of the page FISA applications. Indeed, based on our collection of pertinent FBI records, the actual results of this meeting do not appear to have been memorialized by the FBI in an FBI FD 302 or other substantive report. Footnote from OIG review. Pages 327 to 329 indicate that the FBI did not do anything with this recorded meeting. It was not transcribed, and there was no evidence that the recording was put to any use. The FBI produced no documents regarding this recording to our office. How long is this part? Okay, we're not quite moving on. From this subject matter, but we are introducing some new people in this next section. Um, some new characters that we're going to talk about. So I'm going to choose this as a stopping point because it's noon and we've done two and a half hours almost. So I'm going to choose this as our stopping point for today. This is page 215. So we have... We got 90 pages to go, basically. And some of those are probably going to be pages we skip, like they're blank or uh, whatever. So probably have two or three more sessions of reading this report before we're done. And um, the last word is that Durham was going to testify to... He was going to do a closed door briefing to either House and Senate Intelligence Committees or one or the other on June 20th. And then he's supposed to speak publicly to Congress, uh, to the Oversight Committee, I think, or the Judiciary on um, June 21st. But then I saw another report um, that the GOP is thinking about delaying Durham's testimony all the way until August or September because they want to finish some other investigations they're doing and then bring him back at that time. I find that pretty interesting if that's what they do, if they actually end up 
delaying Durham's testimony all the way through the summer, to me, that makes Durham's testimony that much more important. I think that they're waiting for something to drop. Like that indicates to me that they're they're trying to time when Durham testifies with some other development. Right. And that really excites me. I don't know what it is, but it just shows to me that there's a game plan with this. I mean, I already thought there was a game plan with Durham testifying, but it just shows to me there's there. Re, they really are coordinating when Durham testifies um, with other events and happenings. And that just makes me more excited for for Durham appearing. Um I'm on summer schedule now, or I'm basically on summer schedule. My um my toddler is done with school, so today's a holiday, so my wife is home, and uh, both my boys are home. But the rest of the week, I'm going to have my toddler because um, he doesn't have um he doesn't have any uh, he doesn't, he's done with school. My oldest kid finishes school. I think not this week, but next week is his last week of school. Um, so I'm in this weird period with streaming where, um, what I used to, if you don't know my, my regular thing was that Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, both of my kids are at school. And that's why I stream at that time because I have the house to myself and it's just a golden opportunity to stream. And so that's what I do. But when my kids are out of school, I'm a stay at home dad with them and I take care of them while my, my wife works a nine to five. So this interrupts my streaming schedule. I really hate asking my 10-year-old or soon-to-be 10-year-old. He'll turn 10 this summer. I hate to ask him to babysit his little brother three days a week all summer long. Um, Because it's his summer. I want him to enjoy it. I don't want him to babysit all the time. And he helps me out a lot anyway with watching his younger brother. So... But I'm, I'm going to talk to him about it and see how he feels about it. He he may want to do it for allowance money and um, not be bothered by it. But I want to I want to talk to him about it, you know, and be aware of his summer and what he he wants to get out of his summer. I don't want to impose on him too much. Um. So anyway, that's a long way of saying that my summer schedule is up in the air right now. Um. When a morning is available, I'm going to stream that morning. Uh, but if not, I'm going to have to do things at night. Uh, and then also this summer, I've got two trips I'm going on in June. Um, one's a trip to Texas to see my family. And then another with my wife's new job. She's going for training Um late June or early July, she's going to go for training for her new career. And, um, or actually it's not that different in a career, but it's a new job. Um, anyway, we're going to go with her because we can, and it provides my kids an opportunity to see a part of the country they've never seen before in the Northeast. So we're taking a family trip and she's going to go get job training. And me and the boys are going to go see the Northeast part of the United States. Anyway, my schedule is kind of crazy right now. So just stick with me. I'll post on my socials when I'm going to stream, just like I always do. I always post about 12 hours or more ahead of time of when I'm going to stream. 
So watch my Telegram, Twitter, and True Social. You'll see um, when it, when my next stream is going to be. Uh, for our next segment in this report, um, I'm going to stream another night this week and get another hour or two in on this. I want to finish the Durham report this week. That would be my that would be my goal is to finish it this week, and uh, that's that's what I'm going to try and make happen. So I don't want to I don't want to go against other Badlands shows, but at times I'm going to have to. So watch for me to post when my next stream will be. Okay, I think I got music ready. Yes, I do. All right, folks. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for your generosity for signing up for um, all this stuff and the rumble rants and the Substack subscriptions and the honey, all the stuff you do to support the show. Hitting the thumbs up. Thank you so much. Y'all have a wonderful Memorial day and God bless you. Remember, we're not going to win every battle. We are going to win this war. I'll see you next time. <laughs>